0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We're going to talk Arizona Fall League, which is getting underway about a week from now, less than a week from now by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we are going. Last week, we uh, talked about it, we talked about some of the top players headed there. This week, we're going to look at some of the sleepers, uh, some sleeper prospects that'll be out in the desert for the next six weeks. We're also going to look ahead, preview some of our end-of-year awards. We have the prospect team of the year coming up. We have uh, the overall hitting and pitching prospects of the year. We have each team's hitting and pitching prospect of the year, a bunch of those things coming your way soon, so we're going to preview that a little bit. And we are going to look at uh, some of the 2022 draftees who had the best pro debuts this year. And then we'll wrap up by answering a question from, anybody know? The post office. Incorrect. Jim?
1: Are you talking about the person or the source?
0: Nah. The source.
1: Hey, well, the I know because I pasted the question. I selected the question. So oh, yeah. I, I, oh, I will, that's I'll right. Keep, this, I'll keep yeah. it a secret. I'll keep it a secret.
0: Oh, we're not. Okay. Yeah. This week's this week's, uh Mailbag question is slightly different uh, than usual. You're right. Well, uh, you got to stay tuned to find out. All right. Arizona Fall League, Jim, you are headed out there in a matter of days. Uh, the season as gets under. You. Yeah, as am I. Uh, season gets underway on the third Monday of October. We'll run six weeks, concluding with the championship game on, what, November 12th? I believe. Sure. (laughs) Um, The week before that, the Fall Stars game, one of the best events of the year in prospectum. Uh, Both of those games, the Arizona Fall Stars game and uh, the championship game will be on MLB Network. Um, So we know there are 16 top 100 prospects headed to the Arizona Fall League. Uh, I believe it's, well, I won't get, I, I don't know how many of the top, 20 and 25, 4 or 5. Um, but we, we talked a lot about those guys last week. We had Jordan Walker on the show, who is the top-ranked player headed, top-ranked prospect headed to the fall league. But we want to focus on some guys who are a little more under the radar. Um, and as we were preparing for this, uh, Jim was tooting his own horn. No, he, he was tooting everyone's the horn. <laughs> the, pipeline the pipeline horn. The pipeline horn. Last year we did this story, and... Jim, Jonathan, and Sam, uh, Sam Dykstra, nailed a lot of of these sleeper prospects. As Jim uh, has kindly provided a little intro for me here to this section. Last year was the year of the sleeper, Jim says. Nelson Velasquez, Owen White, Juan Yepes, Elijah Donan, Logan Ohapi, all won major awards. Jose Tenya won the batting title. Curtis Mead, Caleb Killian also stood out, and Ezekiel Tovar, flash potential, So all of those guys, Jim, were in our story last year where we highlighted and predicted guys who were sleeper prospects?
1: Not, they weren't all in the story because Caleb Killian and Nelson Velasquez were both from the Cubs. And I think we didn't have Juan Yepes. Sam Dykstra and I were talking about this yesterday. Yepes was not a Cardinal sleeper, but Brendan Donovan was. He's had an excellent rookie season for the Cardinals. But yeah, most of these guys were, it was just, it was crazy I, I mean, I didn't go back and do research on this, but I, I can't remember too many years in the fall league where you've had that many guys who weren't big-name. Pro- it seemed like most of the dominant prospects were not necessarily big-name guys coming in. And, and it's been interesting that we've seen guys like Ohapi and Tovar and Owen White have all joined the top 100 uh, this year after being you know, relatively anonymous, at least in terms of top 100 acclaim, going into the fall league last year.
0: You know, that uh, Cardinals contingent, Jim Brendan Donovan was, as you mentioned, the the sleeper prospect identified last year, and it said you know Nolan Gorman and Juan Yepes are two prominent infielders that the Cardinals sent to Arizona, and then out of all those guys, Lars Nubar might have I don't might have had the best fall league of of any of them was certainly uh, uh, got a lot of playing time out there and kind of made a he seemed to pop onto the radar out there as well, so. Um, All right, so this year's group, let's go team by team, Arizona Fall League team by team, and uh, have you guys identify uh, a couple guys each here. We will start in Glendale. Jonathan, who is someone on the Glendale roster that we should keep an eye out for, somebody who is maybe not a well-known name at this point?
2: Yeah, I went with uh Edouard Julien from the Twins organization. He's he's number fourteen uh on the Twins top thirty. So he's not completely off the radar, but uh, this guy kind of offensive minded second baseman, not a great defender, but you know, always could hit. And he made the move up to double A this year. Uh, and hit very well, 931 OPS. He hit 300, had 17 homers, drew a ton of walks, 98 walks on the year, stole 19 bases. they had just a very very solid offensive year. The questions about his defensive home kind of still remain, but just in terms of the left-handed bat for a guy who was a, a, an 18th round pick uh, out of uh, out of Quebec. Um, he went to he went to Auburn. Sorry, first, but you know, was a Canadian high schooler from Quebec. Went to Auburn, hit there, and then uh, uh, was able to be eligible for the draft in 2019. Went super late and uh, has already outperformed where he was drafted, and will be knocking on the big league door next year.
0: He's got the uh, Canadian spelling of I don't know. Is this Canadian French? Yeah, ed, Edouard. E d o u a r d. How was that pronunciation, Jim? I know you. Uh, did, you
1: yeah, took he was French. one of my draft guys. Uh, Edouard, you got it correct. And Julianne, French flair on there. Very, no, very no, nice. yeah, there was
2: no flair from yeah. Jim. Edouard no, no, yeah, no Jonathan. Edouard, Julien. There
1: you go. Yeah, you, you couldn't. You couldn't tell my five years of uh, high school French. Uh, yeah, I had,
2: uh, did weren't uh, evident there. Jim Callis admitting he went to high school for five years. Interesting.
1: No, I, I took uh, I took French one as an eighth grade. Yeah, grader, I started so. taking French. I was like the Delman grade, so. Young. I was like the Delman Young of the French scene at Oakton High School, like uh, <laughs> probably like performing at a high school level in eighth grade. So, All or right, Dimitri Jim. Young. I think it was Dimitri Young. But anyway,
2: the meat hook. Um, the meat hook. Oh, sorry, I got carried away with the French thing.
1: I want you to do the rest of the podcast with your
2: bad French <laughs> I will not. <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to take him up on that for
2: sure. I might. We'll see how it goes.
0: All right, Jim, give us a uh, Glendale Desert Dog.
2: I, I'm
1: fascinated by Logan Henderson, and, and I'm also fascinated by the Brewers seem to get the best junior college pitcher in almost every draft. They got Aaron Ashby, who's who's been you know a factor at the big league level. They got Antoine Kelly, who they traded for Matt Bush to the Rangers this year. They got my guy Jacob Mizorowski from last year's draft. You guys may have heard me talk about him about a 1,000 times on the podcast. And in 2021, they got Logan Henderson from McLennan Community College in Texas. He led national JUCO pitchers in strikeouts with 169 in 97 and two-thirds innings. He struck out 17 in the championship game of the JUCO World Series as McLennan won the national title. He was a fourth-round pick. And he did not pitch a whole lot this year because he had had elbow surgery. It was non-Tommy John surgery, but he came back and pitched 14 innings at the end of the year. And he's got, you know, I, it's funny. I, I remember talking to Todd Johnson, brewer scouting director, about him, about how Logan Henderson kind of fascinated me. Because um, you kind of wondered, you know, how he dominate as much as he did without huge, huge stuff. I mean, he was 88-92 most of last spring, topped out at 95 the Juco World Series, but it's one of those... Fastballs with high spin rates and it has great carry. His best pure pitch is probably a changeup that has a ton of tumble and fade in the low 80s. He can spin a, a mid 70s curveball that doesn't have a ton of power, but it's got nice shape. And the, the Brewers just seem to work magic with these JUCO pitchers. So I'm I, I'm curious to see how Henderson did. You know, even though he only pitched 13 and two thirds innings in pro ball. He struck out 23 guys, um, and I'm really curious to see exactly how his stuff works and if he could continue to miss bats because he he could be another one of these juco finds for the Brewers.
0: All right, so that's a couple players from the Glendale Desert Dogs team to keep an eye on. That team, by the way, consistent of players from the following organizations, the White Sox, Reds, Dodgers, Brewers, and Twins. Let's move on to the Mesa Solar Sox uh, comprised of Cubs, Marlins, A's, Yankees, and raise Jonathan in the words of a very wise man who you got
2: <laughs> uh one thing I think we, we haven't really pointed out I don't think as we've been talking about the fall league is that you know the teams who home is being used and if that's our spring training home they automatically play there so Mesa for instance the the Cubs are there and the A's even though they don't play in the same Stadium. Anyway, uh, I realized I think last week when we kind of were breaking that down, we we didn't we didn't point that out. Like Peoria, the when we get to it, the Mariners and Padres play there because that's their spring training home. Um, so I, I'm going with Ryan Kusick, and you know it, I don't know if a guy who was a first round pick just a year ago is a total sleeper. But he and JT Ginn are two pitchers that the A's got in in trades that they made post lockout. And who haven't really been able to show who they are because uh, of injury, so I kind of lumped them together. But Kusick, uh, I'll focus on. Um, he's at 14 on on the A's top 30. He missed a huge huge chunk of uh, uh, this season with an oblique strain, so he only threw like 40 some odd innings, I think 43 innings total. Most of them in Double A. Got knocked around. He had struggled with command, but the stuff. Is really really big. They uh, they got him from the Braves uh, in the Matt Olson trade, and uh, you know I think the A's are looking forward to seeing who he really is. Just because he never really got on track, but the stuff still is is unbelievable. It can be touched triple digits with a fastball with high spin rates. Uh, so he gets swings and misses up in the zone. Uh, he's focused more on a slider. Uh, he, last summer during his day pro debut, you know, it was brief, but it, w- it was a really good slider. Uh, it, mostly those two pitches, um, there is a pretty decent changeup. That's something maybe we'll see him working on in the fall league. So I think that his time this fall could help kind of let him right the ship and 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 kind of let him float back up towards uh, a more, uh, I don't say elite level, but a higher level of pitching prospect than where he currently is.
0: I like that pick. Uh, Jim, I like your pick here too, and I think a lot of people are – going to be uh, interested to see this guy
1: yeah he's he's my pick to win the afl home run title which i believe organization mate nelson velasquez did last year if i remember correctly um but i, I went with matt mervis and I, you know I, I think cubs fans would be like oh, he's not a sleeper because he's like <laughs> as you guys may have heard it's not been the greatest season for the cubs so I think most of the baseball excitement in Chicago right now is for Matt Mervis as he, he's probably not going to get there, but he, he chases the minor league home run lead. He's got 36 right now. I think as we record this, what, there are two days remaining in the AAA season. He's got two days to, to catch up to Moises Gomez. who has got 38, but Matt Mervis leads the he's second in home runs. He leads the minors in, in RBI. He leads the minors in extra base hits. He leads the minors in total bases and pretty good story. Cause he, he began the year, he was he turned twenty four in April, but he began the year in high A. Like he was he was interesting. He was a two way player at Duke. He, you know, we had the five round pandemic draft in 2020, so he didn't get picked. He would have been a sixth to tenth round guy. And he was a priority non drafted free agent for a lot of clubs. And the Cubs moved very quickly and aggressively to sign him as as, as soon as you were allowed to sign non drafted free agents and landed him. And he came out last year and he really didn't have a very good year. He hit two oh eight. Um, nine homers in 72 games, uh, you know, mostly in low A as a 23-year-old. You know, he was old for the level, didn't perform. So you could have argued, I think, coming into the year, that maybe his career wasn't – like, if he didn't perform this year, you know, especially with the roster limits in the minor leagues, his career might have been in trouble. And instead, you know, he – you know, I think the biggest differences for him this year is that he's making better swing decisions – He's kind of tightened up his left-handed swing. It's not as long. It's more direct. He's always had bat speed and strength. And I think more than any Cubs prospect this year, he, he probably has the best combination of, of exit velocity and, and making contact. Now he's you know he's first-base only guy, but the power's real. He's been on fire. I think he's hit – I know he homered yesterday. I think he's hit like about 11 homers in the last month. And as I said, uh, although I'm, I'm, I shouldn't probably have said this because we're probably going to do our total bases draft – for the fall league again, but I, I do like Matt Mervis to win the AFL home run title. I mean, he's had a lot of success in AAA. Um, so he's already faced, you know, uh, you know, consistently better pitching than he will in, in in the fall league, which is kind of double A level, but in in 55 AAA games, he's hit 15 home runs. He, he, he has not slowed down at all at that level.
0: Wow. Jim giving up some Intel there, giving up uh, shocking total base, AFL fantasy.
1: I think Matt Mervis and, is going to do terribly in the AFL. I would not draft him if anybody that's was doing it. Oh wait, he's baseball. changed his mind. Huh. That was like I thought about you, it. it. Was that, be that terrible like a Jedi
2: me. mind trick you just tried to pull there? What was that?
1: <laughs> now nobody's going to want yeah. Mervis. This is not the slugger you want.
0: <laughs> you were right, by the way, Jim. Last year's uh, Arizona Fall League home run champion was in fact organization mate Nelson Velasquez, hit nine dingers. You know the last time we had double digit home runs in the Arizona Fall League.
1: Brandon Wood? I can only what, think of Brandon Wood with 14.
0: Brandon Wood is, yeah, the all-time home run champ in 2005, but uh, we have had some double-digit home run hitters in the fall league since then. What year
1: was it? 2011. It, uh, so before I went for MLB.com.
0: Also a former Cub, but was not with the Cubs. Josh Donaldson? When he was in the fall league. No.
2: I refuse uh, to randomly uh, guess. that does yeah. fit
0: it. Uh Was with the Rangers at
1: the time. Chris McGinnis, Michael. I don't know if he was with the Cubs, but
0: Old hit thirteen. Oh,
2: Michael Old, oh, Michael. Wow, yeah, hit thirteen in
0: uh, two thousand eleven. Had a very, very good Arizona mm-hmm. forward. All right, uh, where are we? Peoria. Let's uh, hit the javelinas and Jonathan. Wow us with your pick.
2: I'm going to woo you with my pick. <laughs> um. Hmm. <laughs> That was too easy, but thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to take Brian Wu of the Mariners. Uh, It's one of those interesting guys who I wasn't on the top 30 to start the year and added him. And the the Mariners, you know, Jim, you've been doing this long enough for sometimes, you know, the player development folks, like they have a hard time containing their excitement about a guy who's a little bit under the radar still, and that was the case with, with Brian Wu. They took him in the sixth round of last year's draft out of Cal Poly. But uh, the reason why he's so under the radar is he got hurt uh, in the spring and needed Tommy John surgery, uh, but showed off enough arm strength They took him in the sixth round. Not only did he get back on the mound, but he actually threw 57 innings last year and made it to high A. Um, you know The overall numbers are just okay. Um, he, you know, especially once he got up to high A, he did get knocked around a little bit, but he missed a ton of bats. I mean, he struck out over 13 per nine, uh, through a good amount of strikes. Uh, it's a, it's a really interesting arm who, you know, and this was just this half of a year, you know, of pitching post rehabbing Tommy John surgery. So who knows exactly what You can put in shorter stints, upper nineties with the fastball. Sometimes it can be a little straight, that can lead to him being uh, a little hittable. But his hard slider is really good. That could end up being an above-average or plus pitch later on. He's got a a pretty good changeup with with good run on it, and he does have a curveball. He shelved it, but he had it in college. He's going to start folding that back in. So we're talking maybe four pitches, uh, three at least average. Uh, and all he needs is more mound time, and he's going to start getting it with Peoria.
1: All right, Jim, hit us with a Javelina. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Alec Jacob of the Padres. And he, you know, we're going to talk about best 2022 pro debuts by 20, 000, 2022 draftees a little bit later in the podcast. And Alec Jacob made our 2021 list for best debuts. He was a 16th round pick out of Gonzaga, West Coast Conference Pitcher of the Year, Uh, in his draft year. But the reason he lasted 16 rounds is he throws, you know, generally throws around 87, 89 miles an hour with fastball with some sink, but he's a side armor. Um, Guys don't hit the fastball very much because of the difficult angle, especially righties. He's got a a low change, low 70s changeup that fades arm side for him. And then he's got a sweeping low 70s slider that breaks in the exact opposite direction. And he, not only had a great debut last year when he didn't give up a earned run in 19 and two thirds innings, he kept that momentum this year. He got to AAA in his first full pro season. He struck out 77 guys in 57 innings. Throws a ton of strikes. You know, I, I think this is a high floor, lower ceiling guy. But I would not be surprised if we see him in San Diego at some point next year. It looks like a outstanding 16th round pick for the Padres.
0: And the uh, Javelinas, comprised of. Guardians, not Indians, Mets, Padres, Mariners, and Nats. Salt River Rafters, uh, this is a squad made up of D-backs, Rockies, Tigers, Cardinals, and Blue Jays. Jonathan?
2: So this is the one guy who I didn't sort of stick to our outside of a team top 10. And part of it is because I don't think people know about him, and part of it is because his name is Warming Burnabell, and it's one of the best names in the minor leagues. And I needed to to, to give him some some love. Uh, he's currently the Rockies' number eight prospect, signed back uh, at the start of the international signing period in 2018, so July 2018. He's pretty much hit wherever he's gone. Um, you, you know, his pro debut was okay. Last year, he just absolutely tore up the Arizona Complex League and made it to full-season ball. This year, he hit across two levels of A-ball and hit both of them, uh, finished with a 313 average and 869 OPS. power started to show up, hit 14 homers, uh, makes a ton of contact, just doesn't strike out. Uh, Learning to be a little more selective, sometimes – guys who are, have such innate bat-to-ball skills, they get themselves out because they can make contact with everything. And I think he's learning to to be able to drive the ball and find his pitch and things like that. Uh, but for a guy who hasn't played above A ball, uh, he's moved over to third. I think he should be uh, pretty good at third uh, when all is said and done. And I think the bat should profile pretty well there. And this could be a good coming-out party for him and a guy who will use this as a springboard to the upper levels next year.
0: All right. Jim, you, you've got a you got a tiger for us?
1: I, I do. I, I went with Parker Meadows of, of the Tigers. He's Austin's little brother. Um, second round pick in 2018, and really didn't do much in his first two full pro seasons in 2019 and then 2021 after the pandemic. Got off to a slow start this year, um, but really, you know, made some adjustments and took off in the second half of the season. He's 6'5, 205. It's plus speed, it's plus raw power. You know, he's had a reputation for having Hitch in his swing that was kind of preventing him from producing at the plate on a consistent basis. But, you know, starting in June, last four months of the season, he was, you know, finished very well. Hit eight homers in August, hit three fifty five in September. Um, you know, if, if that surge is real, if he could keep that going, then, you know, th- there's legitimate tools here. He can play center. He's got a solid arm, so he could really play anywhere in the outfield. Um, you know, we could see him, you know, in the big leagues, you know, next year. He spent this year in double-A – you know, has all, you know, he's going to try to build on that momentum. And, you know, it could be a guy who begins next year in AAA. You know, obviously Detroit's going through some rebuilding and regime change and, and all that. But he's a guy who I think we could see in the big leagues next year as well.
0: All right. Scottsdale, Scorpions, Braves, Orioles, Red Sox, Angels, and Giants. Jonathan.
2: You know, so the Angels have had a you know a history of drafting over the last several years, especially a few years back, you know, uh, high upside, up the middle, high school guys, you know, good athletes. You know, a l- little bit of a risk reward. Um, and this year, they're sending Kyron Paris to to the fall league, and I think he is a good candidate to kind of have a, a little bit of a breakout. And even though he's coming off a bad year, he dropped down to number twenty on their their top thirty overall, and the overall numbers don't look great. Except if you look at what he did when he got bumped up to double a for the last two weeks of the season where he had an ops of uh, 11 1151 uh, 11. Uh, he in our in our last version of our hottest hitting prospect for each team feature he was the angels pick uh, you know because he hit 354 and slug 677 over that last month with six homers and seven steals so i'm thinking maybe he's starting to figure some things out it's a good power combination Probably seen it play short and second base uh, in the fall league, and it'd be interesting to see if uh, if maybe a light has started to to go off in terms of him tapping into uh, what are some pretty impressive raw tools that he that he brought with him, you know, ever since the Angels took him in the second round of the 2019 draft.
0: Jim, you've got a guy who did put up good numbers this year, but in sort of limited time, and we haven't seen a lot of them over the past few years
1: yeah that, that that would be thad ward a right-hander in the red sox organization he was a reliever at uh central florida in college and they converted him to pro starter and he's had pretty much consistent success except he had a, a detour with the pandemic and tommy john surgery he was their minor league pitcher of the year boston's minor league pitcher of the year in 2019 um missed 2020 with the pandemic made two starts last year before he had tommy john surgery Came back this year and, and, and pitched really well. Sixty-six strikeouts, fifty-one in third innings, two point two eight ERA at four different levels. Most of that time in Double A, where he had a two four three ERA in seven starts. Um, you know, his best pitch is a slider. He's got one of the better sliders in the Red Sox system. It's, it could get into the mid eighties with late action. Um, he can throw for strikes. He can use his chase pitch, 92, 96 mile an hour sinker that gets a lot of ground balls. Uh, he's got a you know changeup that's in progress. Throws a reasonable amount of strikes. Um, you know there is a big league future for him. Um, you know I think they're going to try to develop him as a starter. He could always fall back and be a two pitch reliever if need be. Uh, so this is just helping him make up some for some innings he lost. He only pitched like I said fifty one in third this year, after eight last year. And your fun Thad Ward trivia fact is that when he was growing up in Fort Myers, Florida, which is the spring training home of the Red Sox. He served as a Red Sox bat boy during spring training. Wow.
0: Nice one. All right. You are listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. where you are identifying sleeper prospects for the Arizona Fall League. One team to go. Surprise. It's a surprise. I'm not surprised by that. Not surprised at all. The surprise, Saguaros, uh, Astros, Royals, Phillies, Pirates, and Rangers. Jonathan.
2: Well, so I have a little trivia tidbit for my pick. uh, Blake Sable, the Pirates, is I'm doing it like a, a Jeopardy. You know, is related to which NFL Hall of Famer? Oh, Who is Troy Polamalu? You can't ring in until the end of the question. Have you never watched wow, Jeopardy? Sorry. But you were very excited about that. I was very excited. You know, I'm a Steelers. I fan. do. I do. Did you know that one, Jason? I
1: did, yes. Did Did you know that Blake Sable was promoted from the taxi squad to full-time roster
2: status today?
0: I also knew that. Two for two. I,
2: I did know that. In fact, I might have picked uh, Matt Gorski, who had a very good year and has very good tools, but uh, got dinged up at the end of the year, and I think that's probably why they rem- they uh, they removed him. But, um, you know, Blake Sable is it, kind of an interesting guy because he really looked more like an organizational guy, uh, the Pirates took him in the seventh round in 2019 out of Southern Cal. Had been a pretty good high school prospect, but wanted to go to USC. Um, very modest numbers in, in college. Started to show off last year. He hit, uh, you know, but it was an A ball. And he was 23. He's now 24. So he's a little bit older, but the power started to show up in Altoona. He got bumped up to AAA Indianapolis. He continued to hit really well there. An OPS over 1,000 uh, in, in AAA as are finishing up there. And also, I think the player development staff really appreciated the fact that this is a guy who had caught back in college, had been moved to the outfield, and only really played the outfield, and then last year said, hey, I'll go back behind the plate uh, because they needed catching. Now, I don't know whether or not he can catch. Maybe he's a, a guy who's a third catcher and play, plays the outfield. Uh, he plays a pretty decent outfield, and it's starting to show a kind of profile that might look, Good in uh, In an outfield corner uh, So you know being that He's in AAA, A there is some outfield Depth in the Pirates organization but His ability to maybe toggle back And forth uh, when there is not Catching that's ready for the big leagues yet Could put him In Pittsburgh uh, You know as early as opening day next year uh, Or at least earn him You know a spot on the 40 man roster And uh, see what happens from there
0: All right, last Arizona Fall League sleeper prospect, Joe.
2: I'm going to go with
1: Aaron Savala, and he's good pick. He probably stretches the definition of sleeper a little bit. He's number 11 on our Rangers list, but I I do feel like the Rangers' top 10 might be as deep as anybody's top 10. But you know, second round pick last year, I think both Jonathan and I thought he was one of the best college hitters in last year's draft. Pac-12 Conference Player of the Year and you know, listeners may not remember this, but there was like some drama on signing deadline day because second round pick, no reason to think there's anything going on. And there was a medical anomaly that was revealed during his post-draft physical that, you know, it's since more has been reported on it. It was a a growth on his, uh, on, at the top of his cervical spine. And they weren't sure exactly what to make of this. It, they knew it wasn't cancerous at first, but they weren't really sure you know they found this out late in the process like what does this mean going forward you know is he going to be able to play there was a lot of uncertainty going on so he didn't sign and he signed for well below slot on draft day which the rangers then used the savings to sign some other guys but the good news is is after about 2 weeks after he signed and they they got some more opinions from from neuro- neurologists and orthopedists that it was determined they need to monitor the growth, but they, it, it doesn't need any further attention at that. You know, unless it gets bigger, which it hasn't, and then he's not at any risk by playing. And so, you know, given you know, the go ahead to go ahead and play, uh, you know, he's not surprisingly hit very well in pro ball. He's hit 280 in two pro seasons. He's got 17 homers and 23 steals in 133 pro games. Um, he made it to Double A this year. Um, he's hit for more power each level as he's gone up. And this guy's just a, he's a super advanced hitter. I, I think he's going to be more hit over power. I think he's got a chance to be a plus hitter. It might be more average power. One of those guys who's going to draw a ton of walks being on base guy. I, I could see this guy batting in the first or second slot for the Rangers uh, in a year or two. He could just really, really hit. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, perform – In the fall league, and and happy for him that after some initial, you know, scares to what exactly was he dealing with? Is he going to be able to play pro ball? That it appears that everything looks good.
0: And on base machine. Indeed. 89 walks in 111 games this year. All right. That is a look at some sleeper prospects in the Arizona Fall League. Be sure to stay tuned to MLB.com slash pipeline. Uh, Follow us on Twitter. We'll be covering the fall league. In depth on a daily basis, uh, and also mob.com slash AFL to get to complete fall league coverage. That begins again on October 3rd. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will preview some of our year end awards. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We talked AFL sleeper prospects, and now we are going to uh, look ahead to some of our year-end awards. We have the prospect team of the year, where we will name a first and second team. Uh, player per position, and then uh, we'll also have the hitting and pitching prospects of the year for each organization, as well as the overall hitting and pitching prospects of the year for 2022. Those are all coming your way within the next couple of weeks, and we'll whet the appetite a little bit here by previewing the prospect team of the year, where we're considering uh, everyone at each position. Uh, but then whittling it down to the top contenders. Let's start behind the plate and look at some of the top contenders there. Andy Rodriguez, Logan Ohapi, Edward Cuero, uh, of course, MLB's number one overall prospect, Francisco Alvarez.
2: The three first baseman finalists in no particular order are Matt Mervis of the Cubs, who talked about earlier in the pod, uh, Kyle Manzardo of the Rays, and... Nico Cavadas. Is that, is that right, Jim, as our Red Sox guy?
1: Yes, you pronounced that very
2: well. Okay. Uh, Thank you very you, much. You should have done that in uh, a Greek five accent. Five years of Greek. Uh, uh, yes, that's, <laughs> it's all Greek to me. Of um, uh, the, the Red Sox, uh, the, uh, those are the, the three first basemen.
1: And then I'll, I'll give you the three second-base finalists. We have Michael Bush of the Dodgers. I will use my, my high school French here. Edouard Julien wow. of the nice. Twins who was also discussed earlier during the sleeper portion, and Emmanuel Valdez, who began the season with the Astros and got traded to the Red Sox.
0: And uh, next up, third base, got some big names here. Uh, Highest-ranked prospect headed out to the Arizona Fall League, Jordan Walker, one of them, along with Brett Beatty, Miguel Vargas, uh, who ended up in the big leagues, as did Beatty this year, and then uh, Christian Encarnacion-Strand, who split the season between Cincinnati and Minnesota organizations.
2: This is going to come as a shock. The the shortstop finalists, um, Ellie De La Cruz is being considered. I don't, I'm not sure why, uh, but uh, obviously the the Reds infielder who uh, is now officially a friend of the pod uh, on the list, Gunnar Henderson of the Orioles, and Vaughn Grissom of the Braves. Of course, Henderson and Grissom also uh, making their stamp at the big league level as well.
1: Now, I'll, I'll rattle off now nine outfield finalists. We've got Vaughn Brown of the Giants, uh, Kerry Carpenter of the Tigers, Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks, Jackson Churio, who I've already anointed breakout prospect of the year, of the Brewers. That's, uh, what, four. We've got James Outman of the Dodgers, Astoria Ruiz, who went from the Potters to the Brewers in the hater trade, We have Matt Waldner of the Twins, Moises Gomez of the Cardinals, who's our current uh, minor league home run leader, and Justin Durden of the Astros are our nine outfield finalists.
0: All right, to the mound. Start on the left side. uh, Some nice names here. Ricky Tiedemann of the Blue Jays, Kyle Harrison of the Giants, Mason Montgomery of the Braves.
2: Some good names uh, among right-handed starters as well. Andrew Painter of the Phillies, Gavin Williams of the Guardians, Gavin Stone of the Padres, and and Brandon Fatt of the of the Diamondbacks. He of the two hundred plus strikeouts. So some good names to consider there.
0: Did you just give the Padres Gavin Stone?
1: Oh, did he? Is there a
2: trade? I think
0: he
1: announced a trade. I did. Did I say? Did, I thought. Did I say
2: breaking the Padres? I
1: don't.
0: I, I thought. I thought. I he
2: think it was right. so. I was so intent on making sure I said Guardians for Gavin Williams that I may have just made a mistake. Gavin Stone of the Dodgers. My apologies. I may have just made that if up. If I yeah. got that wrong. Yeah, it's, it's all good.
1: Yeah, Better be safe. I was in my head pr- practicing the pronunciation for one of the reliever finalists. And so I, I missed that. <laughs> but uh, our three reliever finalists to wrap up our, our list of candidates for the prospect team of the year we have Edgar Barclay of the Yankees. Well, that's not that tough to say, Jim. No, I know. (laughs) Zach (laughs) Brixey. You're up to me in the middle of of Brixey. But Zach Brixey, which is B-R-Z-Y-K-C-Y of the Nationals, and Eric Torres of the Angels are your three reliever finalists.
0: All right. So in looking at all these different positions, uh, what are are some that uh, stood out to you guys as being difficult decisions?
1: I thought Jonathan at least for me, the second base was maybe the toughest decision. I felt like, you know, the players were similar age, similar levels, similar stats. None of them is a particularly uh, fluid defensive second baseman. That's Michael Bush. I just wanted to say Edouard Julien again. A- and Emmanuel <laughs> Valdez. They're, they're they're very similar players. Um, and so I that one, I thought you... We're really splitting hairs. That one was pretty tough.
2: I think I, I, I agree, and sometimes I think the the thinking would be, oh, the tough decision is gonna be where there's really, really good players. Um, I think the same token, first base was challenging, um, just in that you know because you know when you look at Matt Mervis and what he did home run wise, um, and you're trying to compare that to a guy like Kyle Manzardo who. Didn't hit for as much power, uh, you know. Always was a hit over power guy in college, so that one that one was interesting. And I felt like some of the outfield choices, just there were so many outfielders who had really good years, and trying to weigh, the, you know, putting together a really good year with prospecty goodness to coin your phrase, Jim, um, was a little challenging with the uh, with the with the group of outfielders.
1: Yeah, and I'd say the the one position I'd throw in there was just third base, where you had. Three outstanding prospects in in Brett Beatty and Miguel Vargas and Jordan Walker, and then you had Christian and Strand, who had 32 homers and 114 RBIs and had better pure numbers than all of them. Um, so I thought that was kind of a, a tough position as well. Like I could I could easily pick four third basemen and maybe we'll throw some of those guys into a DH spot or something. But but I thought that one was a pretty tough one too. The, the pitchers felt pretty easy to me.
0: Speaking of uh, prospecty goodness, I wanted you guys to. Uh, kind of break down how this works, you know, what you're looking at, what factors in the most. Obviously, you're obviously looking at the statistics, but also age level and also uh, explain who's eligible for this because a guy like Julio Rodriguez, who was a prospect at the beginning of the season, would not be eligible for these awards, right?
1: Well, he did not play at all in the minors. So um, yeah, I mean, we're we're celebrating minor leaguers here. Um, essentially, if you, I mean, it, it's based on minor league performance. So I, I don't think we have a minimum, but if you don't play a lot in the minors, you're not going to put up enough numbers to, to you know make the list. But essentially, I think any minor leaguer who is on a top thirty prospect list at some point this season, and I know for me personally. I mean, I do factor prospecting goodness into it. I mean, and you have to look at at age and level, like you said, Jason. I, I'd say for me, it's maybe sixty sixty five percent performance, and you know thirty five forty percent prospecting goodness. Like that is gonna, you know, sway it for me in the end. You know, if if two guys are close, I think yeah. I, I mean, I think that's about
2: right. And sometimes it's it's more feel than, um, but that that ratio sounds sounds about right maybe i'd go 70 30 you know th- this this team tends to be you know on a week to week basis it's performance based so it's maybe a little bit more performance based than just picking a all prospects team uh, you know in terms of, of figuring out that the, the sort of the the prospect part of it uh, so yeah maybe i skew a little bit more toward performance but it's in the same ballpark
0: isn't not the eligibility rule that these guys have to have spent at least half the season in the minors? I mean, I don't. You think that's like more of a guideline than a...
1: I, well, I mean, you aren't going to make the team if you played forty five games in the minors. So, um, I maybe it is. I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I don't think I would ever pick anybody who who only played like sixty five games in the minors. So. Um, and I don't think any of our candidates do. So I, I don't know. I, I, I do not know the answer to that question.
0: All right. So prospect team of the year, the organizational hitting and pitching prospects of the year, and the overall hitting and pitching prospects of the year coming your way soon on MLB pipeline. Uh, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to look at some of the best pro debuts by 2022 draftees. That's coming up next on the MLB pipeline podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, I'm Jason Ratliff, and we are going to talk about some 2022 draftees who got drafted in July, made their pro debuts uh, this summer, and impressed. Uh, There's a story up on MLB Pipeline now uh, by Jim. Where he identified, how many players did you end up identifying, Jim? Because I know you- (laughs)
1: Well, well, you know, I when I looked at last year's story, I was like, geez, I did 15 guys last year. That's a lot. So I I tried to cut it to 12, and then I kept discovering more guys. So I I wound up going 16 deep. Oh, you going to add one each year?
2: I'm going to set a calendar reminder. This is a very Jason Ratliff thing to do for next year to see, make sure Jim complains about how he did X amount of players in this story. Time.
1: Well, see, the, the thing was I, I felt like I had to be fair because like, one of the guys I cited, Mason Barnett, had eight scoreless innings. I was like, oh, John Michael Bertrand had eight scoreless innings. I got to add him. And then I realized, oh, I only have one high school guy in this list. So I was like, oh, I'll get Cole Young on there. And it just kept growing. So, um, yeah, it's like it's a good thing I cut myself off. If, you know, It might be up to 20 by now if the deadline had been today or something.
0: But, All right, so we're, we're going to talk about the highest drafted player on the list and the lowest drafted player on the list. But uh, somebody else you want to talk about here, Jim?
1: Yeah, I was going to give if I I, I, maybe most impressive debuts. If I had to pick the two most impressive debuts, the Angels sent at least three of their players out of the draft to double A. Ben Joyce went there directly, third rounder. Zach Neto, their, their first rounder, went there after some time in high A. And they both thrived. I mean, Joyce, who we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, because he hit 105 mile an hour with his fastball at Tennessee this spring, and he averaged 101. He went to Double A, um, only pitched you know one inning at a time. You know, kind of kept him, you know, handled him carefully like Tennessee did. But 2.08 ERA in Double A, 20 strikeouts and 13 innings. Last two appearances, struck out the side in both. So that was impressive. And then you know Neto, who. You know, Highest ever pick from Campbell, 13th overall, back-to-back Big South Conference Player of the Year, career 403 hitter in college. Well, he kept hitting, even though he, he played in high A and double A. He had a combined uh, 299, 377, 476, 15 extra base hits, and led all draftees with 44 hits in 37 games. So I thought it was very impressive that those guys not only survived going to double A, that both Ben Joyce and Zach Neto thrived in double A. Not even trying to rhyme, but uh uh I thought those were the two most impressive debuts for me.
0: Either of you uh, get any reports or have you heard anything about uh Joyce's velocity uh at
2: double a i ha had not, but I can do that and report back next week.
1: There we go. <laughs> Jonathan is Mr. Angel as he's known in in the pipeline uh, <laughs> that's true Pipeline environs
0: he is angelic very kind of you Jonathan hit us with uh you're going to you're going to give us the the highest
2: yeah I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cherry pick right off the top um and Jackson Holiday and he he didn't play a ton right it was 20 games total um when all was said and done um 64 at bats but it is always nice when especially if you take a high school guy number 1 overall and he goes out and um hits right away and he did he made quick work uh, in his time uh, in the complex league uh, he hit over 400 uh, over 8 games got moved up to finish out the summer in low a the numbers obviously weren't as good there but overall with a 911 ops uh you know in in those 20 games and hits the ground running to hit full season ball full time next year i don't think it would shock anybody the you know the son of Former All-Star Matt Holiday. If, if he was the kind of high schooler that moves a little bit more quickly, ridiculous tools, the ability to stay at the premium position at shortstop uh, for for a long time. Uh, you know, got better as the spring went on. That's so how he ended up number one overall. So very promising start uh, and another elite level prospect that the Orioles were able to add to their already deep farm system.
1: And I'm going to go with the other end of the spectrum, the the lowest uh, pick who made my top 322 pro debuts of the summer, uh, top 16 was Cameron Wagner, of the Brewers, who is an 11th rounder out of Eastern Michigan. And he wound up, he led all draftees with three wins, 19 and two thirds innings. Most pitchers did not pitch much this, this summer and a 24 to two straight out to walk ratio while putting up a 1.83 ERA between rookie ball and single a, and he's 11th rounder out of Eastern Michigan. And I was thinking, that's kind of odd. I, you know, the way we split up the draft, Michigan's one of my states. And I was like, I don't remember anybody talking about Cameron Wagner. You know, 11th round pick isn't that low. You know, it's usually you target a guy you want to come out. That's the first round on the third day of the draft, a guy you want. And, and so I looked him up and he hadn't pitched this spring. And I was like, what's going on? And then I, I did a little bit more digging, talked, uh, texted, uh, uh, Brewer Scouting director Todd Johnson, who's always great about getting back to us quickly. And, uh, and I said, hey, what was, uh, You know, what was the story with Cameron Wagner? Like, why didn't he pitch this spring? I I assumed maybe he'd been hurt or something, and he was academically ineligible is what was going on. He got to pitch a little bit in the Cape Cod League before the draft to show what he can do, and he ran his fastball up to 97 miles an hour and his slider up to 87, and that's why the Brewers pounced on him in the 11th round, and and so far, so good. Uh, Very, very strong debut for Cameron Wagner.
0: All right, again, that story on best debuts by 2022 draft picks is on mlb.com slash pipeline now check it out there uh let's wrap this thing up with a question from the mailbag we built so much (laughs) intrigue at the beginning of the show so much so much about where this question came from ladies and gentlemen it came from not twitter but instagram can you believe it
1: uh, oh my God! Thanks to Kelsey Hennigan, who who put my plea for questions on Instagram and and actually forwarded. I think she forwarded them to all of us, but must have been like twenty questions. She did this a couple it, weeks ago for Pipeline a nice Inbox. Little bounty. Yeah, she she yeah. did this. She did it for Pipeline Inbox a couple weeks ago, and I think I, I don't remember if we used a, a question that week. Maybe not because you were so excited this week, Jason. I guess we didn't use it on the podcast, but I know on Pipeline Inbox that week, two of my four questions were. Instagram related. So uh, thank you to all the Instagram users who who responded to our, our ask for questions.
0: And the one that was chosen came from uh, Instagram handle KCAYDE, who asks for the draft, would you rather have the number one overall pick or the highest bonus pool?
1: And since I just dominated the draft debut section, since it was my story. Jim,
0: you need to answer this question in, in a series of
1: photos. Yeah, exactly. Hey, that'll be very good on, <laughs> I guess. I was going to defer to Jonathan and let Jonathan have first crack at this question, if he wished. Uh, what, what, what
2: year is it? Well, then, um, I was no. going to say, obviously, uh, <laughs> that the, the
1: thing that's tough, well, not tough, but like, how close are the bonus pools? Like, I... I I guess I looked at it like they're reasonably close. It's not like $4 million more or
2: something. I guess if we're going to look in a general sense without, you know, really knowing about any of those variables, I think I would take the highest bonus pool. Um, You know, it is tough because sometimes there's a number one pick that you, you, you would, you want that player, but I think given what things have looked like over the last few years, I think I would rather have more money to work with. Not that you necessarily get cute with it, but you, you could still pick the best player. If you have the highest bonus pool, you're picking in the top five in all likelihood, and then you also have some extra picks. So you could still take the best player and have the money to be aggressive later on in the draft. So I think Having the highest bonus pool gives you the best chance at impacting your farm system and your organization the most in, in a given draft.
1: And it's interesting because I would I would lean the other way. Now, you know, like I said, obviously it would depend if we're talking like $5 million difference, I'd rather have the highest bonus pool. If we're talking about I have the first pick and maybe some other team has the third pick and they have a competitive balance pick and that puts them ahead of me. I'd rather have my crack at taking the guy who I thought was the best player in the draft, from the standpoint of you can't always guarantee that guys you're going to want later are going to get there, that you can always push them there. But um, it's interesting. I mean, I guess if we if we neither of us have done the research, we could we could do an hour long podcast, Jonathan, where we we delve into what what bonus pool difference you know would we would we. You know, change our decision, but I, I I would lean. That's next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a full hour. That and an update on on Ben Joyce's velocity, and we'll we'll do come up with some more French names to pronounce as well. But um, yeah, I I think I would rather be able to get any any player who I wanted in the draft. You know, like you know, there's obviously some years where you have an Adelaide Rutschman and a Bobby Witt, and, and you know, it's a deep draft. And there's other years where there's a clear number one. I I would rather have the comfort of knowing I can have any player I want, and also. The flip side is, if I have the number one overall pick, I also know I'm going to have a high bonus pool as well. Even if it's not number one, I'm going to have a really good bonus pick, bonus pool. So I I would lean that. But it's it's an interesting question, which is why we picked it.
0: All right. Thanks very much to Instagram handle KCAYDE for that question. And thanks to everyone for listening. Jonathan, you want to sneak something in here real quick?
2: Well, we were speaking French. I want to throw in a little Hebrew. A little Shana Tova. Happy New Year to those who uh, celebrate uh, 5783, in case you're keeping track on the Hebrew calendar.
0: And that is a wrap for this week's MOB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.